and welcome to a special edition of the McGregor Podcast. I'm Mark Bricker, your host for this special Hot Topics podcast series. And recently on a Wednesday night, as part of our Journey Together ministry, we hosted a Hot Topic night with Omar Edwards leading. The topic, thinking biblically about my relationship to money. And joining me now is Omar. Welcome, Omar. Well, it's good to be here. Hey, Mark, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it would be appropriate that uh, we're going to be listening to you teach in just a minute. So uh, let's let you be a part of the introduction as well. So before we dive into this very first session, set up for us your big idea, because you were, you were very clear uh, throughout the entire uh teaching time that uh, there was a central idea. You came back to that multiple times, which makes for good teaching when you uh, have a big idea that you can continue to reiterate with the folks. But uh, give us that big idea and how did that big idea come about as you were putting this material together? Well, the big idea was um, how do I glorify God in the use of my money? Right. Um, Typically, we don't well, I don't, and I've, I really haven't heard very much or read very much about giving God glory through how I how I how I use my money, right? Mm-hmm. How I use my resources. But First Corinthians ten thirty one says, "So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God." Um, and you know, for better or for worse, um, a lot of what we do in life involves money. I'd say. Most of it. I mean, most of my conscious day, half of it, goes to working, right? And I, I'm working um, not just in obedience to the, you know, to God's command in Scripture, but I'm working because I have to sustain my family. Um, I have to, in obedience, give, and you know, I have to take care of what we need, right? Um, and that doesn't happen for free. No one's. No one's driving by my house, just you know, dropping groceries off. Say, here you go, brother. Mm, um, that doesn't happen with you. <laughs> so it, it's it's you know we we tend to not think about it, um, but it, it's 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 big, right? We we deal with money at work. Um, when we leave, right? We 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 go to the gas station and we 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 buy gas, and you know after that we may go to the grocery store and you know spend some money on groceries. And then you know, so it's it's an act, it's an activity we do, and it's a it's a thing we use. Um, and in thinking about it, I, I, you know, th- there's there's a lot to be said about money in scripture. Um, there's a lot in the scripture that tells us about how we should spend money, um, how we should have an attitude toward money. And so, looking at those things, I recognize God. God wants to be glorified in everything we do, yeah, yeah. and including that, and that's something we take for granted. And we don't really think about it. It's almost a lot of our spending is unconscious, yeah. and our you know. And so, just like we would deal with any behavior, or any aspect of our lives, we we want to be more conscious about the things we do. And so, money is one of those things that we're almost you know that we do yeah. subconsciously. And so, that was the point. Let, yeah. You know, God wants glory in, in all we do. In all we do, yeah. Well. Um, well put, and uh, as our listeners will hear in just a moment, that uh, that point comes back. Uh, you mentioned that many, many times. And before we let you uh, continue any further and start teaching again, we're gonna we're gonna dive into Omar's teaching now. And we've divided this into two sections. Uh, both of these sections are packed with content, so I would encourage you to get your Bible out and something to take notes with. And join me now as we listen together to part one of thinking biblically about my relationship to money. 
Money's an interesting thing. I remember when I was a kid, um, you know, when you're a kid, you go to Sunday school and uh, the classes you learn, uh, sometimes you hear the stories, the Bible stories, and you take those stories literally. And so I remember we were, we were suffering a little at home. We didn't, we, didn't, we didn't have much money. And so me and my sister decided to do a thing. And so between she and I, we moved a bed to the middle of the room and we found a suitcase and we emptied it. And because we had just finished studying the story of Joshua um, and, and, and Jericho. And so what we did was we took the suitcase, we emptied it out, we put it under the bed. And <clears throat> every day we would do this process. We would, we would put the suitcase under the bed and we would sing walking around the bed one time. And we did that for six days. <clears throat> praying that the Lord would fill that suitcase with money. And so on the seventh day, uh, we, we, the same action, it was a Saturday, we did the same action, we pulled it in the middle and we sang, and we walked around that thing seven times. And we sang and we shouted and we pulled out the suitcase. Do you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> there was no money. My, my childhood faith was destroyed. Um, and so uh, I did not obviously at the age of whatever that was, seven, eight years old, have a decent or comprehensive or even working understanding of what the Bible says about money. Um, and unfortunately, that lack of understanding or knowledge stuck with me for a bunch of years um, to where we are still learning. And so um, this was a great, I think this is great timing. We, we just spent four weeks, uh, a couple weeks ago, finished spending four weeks in Second uh, Corinthians speaking about church giving. This will not be that type of discussion. Um, we will not be talking about church giving. I mean, mention it as a point, but we will not be addressing that. So don't worry. We're not pushing you to give more, um, you know. But uh, I'd like to, let's begin by reading, uh, by opening our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter four. And that's where we're going to hang our hat for the evening. And we're gonna be looking at Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 13, and then we're going to skip over a few verses, and we're going to continue with verses 19 and 20. And so as we, as we have them open, uh, the Bible does say a lot of things about money. Um, 16 of Jesus' parables mention money and possessions. 20% of the New Testament teachings by Jesus involve money or resources or, or references to that. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels is a reference to financial issues, right? Agriculture, farming, money. There are, like I said, upwards of 2,200 verses on money, possessions, giving, and financial resources in the Bible from cover to cover. And so what the focus is today, right, is we're going to be looking at our attitudes toward money, right? We're going to be looking at our attitudes toward money. Um, because really, how we deal with money and how we handle money reveals where our heart is, right? Because money's neutral, amen? Money's neutral. We need money to, you know, Jesus used money, right? He, he used money in his everyday, right? They, they, he, he paid taxes. He, they, they, the, 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 we see in the story of the goods of the, uh, when, he, when he speaks of the Samaritan women, he had sent, right, his disciples to go purchase things. It's not, like, it's not like money is an issue in and of itself. Money's neutral. Problem is we aren't. 
we aren't neutral pretty much about anything. Um, especially now in 2023, if you go online, right, you go on Facebook, people have an opinion about everything, whether they know what they're talking about or not. So we're not neutral. And so it reveals a heart. First Timothy 6.10 says this, it says, for the love of money, what? Is the root of all kinds of evil, right? Money's not evil, but it is the root of many, many evils. And it is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. So when we, when we think about our finances, when we think about the resources that we have, um, we can look at it two ways. We can look at it, right? We can look at it as a cultural issue, right? We, we, we learn a lot of our spending habits. We learn what to do with our money or we're trained on how we should spend or where we should spend our money culturally, right? It begins at home, right? I still buy a lot of the same foods and things that, that, that my, my parents bought as I was a kid. I still buy some of the similar products, right? When I'm sick, right? What's a, a Vicks vapor rub right on the chest? That, that's, that's just cultural. That's, I, I, I lead to that, right? That's, that's what I go by when I'm not feeling well because that's what we learned. And of course, like bigger expenses and the places you go and, 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 and the restaurants you visit and, and other things, you, you, you learn that first at home and then you learn that in your surroundings. We pick up on TV, Right? What happens every August 1st in every coffee shop in the United States? Pumpkin spice, right? Or September 1st, excuse me. Right? Pumpkin spice latte, pumpkin spice donuts, pumpkin spice this. And so culturally, we've been cultured, we've been taught or programmed that on September 1st, we start buying pumpkin flavored items. And that extends into different areas. But the way we deal with money is not just, we don't learn it culturally only. It's not just a cultural issue, it is a spiritual one. And so the question we would ask ourselves is, how do I relate to money? Do I love money? What does that look like? So before we begin, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna get into some disclosure statements. I like disclosure statements. First one, now, we said the Bible references 2,200 passages plus um, about money, right? But the context of the majority of those passages is not about money. So you'll hear a lot of these um, prosperity preachers and a lot of these Christian finance guys give you the number of verses there are about money in the Bible as if that was something of the utmost importance. It's not. Jesus, in most of his, in most of his parables, while he referenced money, he was not really teaching about it. Most of the majority of the references of money in scripture are not specifically or primarily about money. Are we following? So I just, I just want us to understand, right? Don't get tricked or hoodwinked or, or, or bamboozled, I like that word, by folks who wanna tell you this is so important that God speaks more about money than any other thing in the Bible. That is false. Context is king. Second disclosure. Today's study will not be, as I said, a discussion on church giving. I already said that, so I'll get to the third one. Today's study will not be a workshop on financial management. I am not Dave Ramsey. Um, and so I do not have a million dollars saved and I have not yet bought a house or a car in cash. So if you're looking to me about tips, I'm probably not the guy. Um, as far as uh, deep down questions about investments and banking and that sort of thing, that's not what this is about. There are resources out there that can be a blessing uh, for you. Uh, 
And so um, please reach out and we can, you know, if, if there are any questions, we can point you to some of those resources, but this is not what, this is not that kind of a study. And so I'm going to um, skip down. We're gonna get back to the passage in a minute. That's not where it is, where did it go? This is the wrong slide, great. All right, so I, I sent two slideshows, they put the wrong, but that's fine. The big idea, what's the big idea? And this is what we want to discuss. This is what we want to get to this evening. The big idea is God glorified in my relationship with money. I'll repeat that again. Is God glorified in my relationship with money? I want God to be glorified in every financial decision. I want God to be glorified in every financial transaction. So the question then, it begs the question, when I change jobs, is God glorified? When I consider my financial situation, is God glorified? When I think about possessions, when I, when I think about what I have or what I wanna get or what I, what I, what I want to, sorry man, <laughs> sorry. What I, wanna, what I wanna buy, what I wanna purchase, what I wanna invest in, am I honoring God? When I make plans with my money, when I make a major purchase, am I glorifying God? When I make a minor purchase, am I glorifying God? That's the big idea. Do we honor God in the use of the resources that he has given us? It's that question we want to answer today. And so, let's read through Philippians here. I don't know what happened here. Sorry. All right, Philippians 4, verse 10 through 13 and 19, 20. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity, nor that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a big idea. And so tonight, I want to talk about, discuss in this passage, 10 biblical considerations about money. 10 biblical considerations about money. And the first, before we jump into uh, Philippians, is stewardship. First and foremost, when we think about money, right, the first thing we should understand is that this is God's money. It is God's money, it's not ours. When we look at scripture, Deuteronomy 10:14 tells us, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. I'm not gonna read all those verses, I'll read one more. Um, Psalm 89, 11 says, the heavens are yours. The earth also is yours and the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And so when we look at money, we have to realize first and foremost that the money I have in my pocket or my bank account, the money I receive on a bi-weekly basis from my job is not, is not mine. I don't generate that because because of my own strength or my own ability, right? I, I, most of my money comes from a, a, a job, a nine to five job. I do IT work for Houston Methodist. 
hospital. And so um, most of my money comes from there every, every two weeks, right? I know that on Thursday, I'm going to get a deposit. And they're paying me for the services I have rendered for the two weeks prior, right? So I said, well, that's my money. Well, in a sense, it is. Legally, it's my money. They owe it to me. It's my property. But I can't take glory for that. God has given me the energy, he's given me the ability, he's given me the understanding to be able to do what I do so that I can get that check every two weeks. He's given me the wherewithal to study and to prepare myself in the field that I'm in. He's created, right, the field that I'm in. He's created healthcare, he's created technology, right, and he's created all these things I work with and he, in his great providence and sovereignty, has provided me an opportunity to be able to have a lifestyle I have because of his good grace. Amen? It's not my money. If he chose to, he could make that money stop. If he willed it so, he could make that job end. If, it was, if, if, if he wanted to, if he allowed it, something could happen and that income could no longer come into our household. But he sustains us with the power of his word, the Bible says, right? So it is through him, it is by him, and it is because of him that I have what I have, that we have what we have. So, we are stewards. And it is our responsibility to understand that we are accountable to God in the use of what he has provided. Stewardship. Let's jump into Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. First, first, first phrase, not that I am speaking of being in need. So this brings us to the second, second consideration about money, and it's work that I was just speaking about. Work. Why is work so important when we speak about money? Anybody? Why is work so important? It's where the money comes from. That's right, it's where the money comes from. It's how we earn it, right? It is how we earn that money. It's how I'm able to, right, but cash my check or, or, or pay my bills or, but it's through work. And, but work is not something mundane, right? Work is not something that someone invented just to take advantage of people. Work is something initiated by God. I don't know if you've ever heard of the creation mandate, but work is the second part of the creation mandate. We see that in Genesis chapter two, right, verse 15. Right, in the beginning, God tells Adam and Eve, he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply, right? And that they would lord over the earth. And then in verse 15, he says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I know a lot of people that don't like to work. I lived in New York City where, right, the, 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 the welfare capital of the United States. And, and they, they call it that for a reason. I knew a lot of people who, who, who did not like to work. My, my wife worked for social services over there and she worked, uh, she, she ran a homeless shelter and she would see the folks in the homeless shelter come in with a brand new phone, a new, a new pedicure, a new manicure, a new hairdo, dropped off by somebody in a BMW and a Mercedes or whatever, right, in and out with the, with the latest in fashion, the, the, the $300 sneakers. I didn't even know sneakers were $300, but anyway, um, and so she witnessed this, and she would see this, right? On and on and on and on. Folks don't want to work. 
That is a biblical mandate. That's, that's, that is a creation mandate. That is from the beginning. There is no law against that. There is no doctrine that is formulated against what God has established in the Garden of Eden, right? One of the things he established, male and female, he created them. There's nothing that can go against that. This is something else. We are to work. We are to toil. We are to work with our hands to generate income or do something or use a talent or gift or skill. But work is a creation mandate. Secondly, God models work for us. In Hebrews 1.10, it says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands, right? Psalm 143.5 says, I remember the days of old. I meditate at all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. God modeled it for us. God modeled it for us. He worked. For six days in creation, he worked. The seventh day, he rested. And after that, and all through, all through history, and all through, right, all through time, he continues working. He continues sustaining. He continues supporting. He continues uplifting. He continues to work and lift us up and provide. He continues to make this world go around. He continues to make this earth go around the sun. He continues bringing the sun up each morning, the moon right every, every evening, that the wind would blow, that the rain would fall. He works so that we would work. And then we get to New Testament example, Paul, the great apostle, the great author and elder. He worked. We see in Acts 20, verses 34 to 35, it says, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. These hands, he's speaking about himself. In all things I have shown you, listen, this is Paul, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul worked. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, he says, and we labor working with our own hands. He was a tent maker. So Paul, who did not have to, who if he chose, right, he declares it, he says he has a right. He has a right to receive from the church. Right? He has a right as his job as elder and apostle, right, to be able to receive support from the church and not work. But he did not choose that route as an example to all those he taught. And he worked so that he could provide doctrine and example on the subject. To the church of the Thessalonians, uh, chapter 4, in, their, in the first letters of the Thessalonians, verse 11 and 12. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. He gave testimony so that we would learn the appropriate behavior so that we would also give testimony to those outside. Because we are not to depend on others for our sustenance. Now, there are exceptions. Obviously, there are situations that happen. Things happen. Situations occur, right? We, we recently had, uh, last year, Hurricane Ian. And... That was a crisis. And a lot of folks needed help from a lot of folks. But that's not the norm. That's not the standard. That's not the bar 
to which we, right, to, to which we try to, that, we, that we try to achieve. The standard is what? I work, <laughs> right, because I want to feed my family. He tells, right, the same church, right, in his second letter to the Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12 and 14. It says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Apparently, they were some lazy Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, what? Let him not eat, right? For we bear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. And then, right, he says, now such persons we command and encourage the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And Paul, in the next verse, he's like, you know what? And if they don't, if they don't, put, you know, treat, embarrass them. Shame them. Not like a, not like a foreigner, not like an outsider, but shame them. Like a brother. Walk up to them, put your arm around them and say, stop being lazy, go to work. I'm not making it up. He said, this is what he says. He says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. He may be ashamed. A lot of times we want to be very supportive of people. <laughs> Whew. We want to be very helpful and we want, to, we want to show lots of grace. But if a man is unwilling to work and able to work, then he should be ashamed of himself. And as a brother in Christ, if you know that situation, and it's a rampant situation and it continues to repeat itself, by all means, lovingly, graciously, let that person know what this verse says. That it is shameful. That God has given us the opportunity and the ability and the grace with which to provide for our needs, and we are neglecting that. There's going to be emails. I did what you said, Brother Omar, and I got into a fight, and now I can't see my family anymore. <laughs> Lovingly and with grace, I said. <clears throat> that brings us to the third point, verse 11, Philippians 4. Let's go back there, verse 11. It says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And so that brings us to the third consideration, contentment. Contentment. Contentment is a way of life. Contentment is a way of life. It is a way of life that I have not mastered. I have not mastered it. No, no. No, sir. I think I gave an example last time. I'll repeat it. But recently, November 2020, we became homeowners for the first time. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God for that because Lord knows that we needed his intervention for sure. So we got a nice 2,400 square pool home right after COVID, they opened up, best possible price, best possible interest, right? 2.7%, good stuff, I was happy. I was like, yeah, we jumped on it. We closed, Carrie, November 23rd. I remember it was the day before Thanksgiving, we closed, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we closed, and as I was walking up to the door after closing, I walked up, I looked at the house, and I had, driven other, I had driven by other homes, other really nice homes, and I had seen somebody's backyard, it was really nice. I walked into my house. I had not entered for the first time as an owner, and I was ready thinking about the other stuff that I didn't have. That, my friends, is a complete lack of contentment. 
And I remember walking in there, and I remember getting angry at myself. I, I believe there was the Holy Spirit correcting me at that moment. I said, why, why am I doing this? What, what is wrong with me? Several years ago, this was a pipe dream. Over $100,000 in, in, in medical debt and other debt that, that, that I'd been dragging with me for years. A credit rating that I, that, that, that I don't even know if it registers anymore. And now the Lord had blessed me. He had taught me. I had learned a few things. And now I'm walking into this home. The first actual homeowner in my family in, in I don't know how many generations. And I'm sitting here thinking about the next house. Contentment is a way of life. It is, one, it is a character trait. Some people that we know are just content. How many of us know somebody that's like content all the time? They're just, man, they're always happy about stuff. The world could be, the world could be coming down around them. Fire all over the place. I'm like, this is great. I am not that person. And so it is a, it's, it's a character trait. There are some people that have that gift that they're able to naturally be more content than others. However, for everyone, even with those that lean into contentment, it is also a discipline. It is a discipline to wake up and say, thank you. To wake up and be appreciative of what God has given us. Let that be a practice of ours every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every night. Lord, thank you. I don't just pray for the food that you give me just to bless it. I pray because, Lord, right now you have given me something that half of this world does not have, dinner. Lord, I appreciate, Lord, this breakfast, whatever it is, whatever I have in my fridge this morning. Oh, this is not Eggs Benedict. No, it's not. But I'm, I'm hungry, I'm eating, and then I'm full. Thanks be to God for your provision. Amen. Lord, thank you that I no longer have to pay someone else, that I'm not paying someone else's mortgage off. Lord, thank you, Lord, that I don't have to walk to the supermarket. I don't have to walk to take the kids to school because we have a car. Thank you, Lord, because I have clothes. Thank you, because I have more than one pair of shoes. Thank you, Lord, because I have what so many other folks do not. You have given me more than I deserve. You've blessed me beyond a comprehension. I am rich before the eyes, right? I, I, I am rich in blessings because of you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the people in my life. Thank you for all that we have. I also talk, spoke to you last time about a car I was given. Remember the story? I'm still giving thanks as the car still smokes because of all the oil that's burning off. I, I remind myself, Lord, thank you because I could not have this smell of oil in my car. But thank you. Thank you that the panel of my car lights up like a Christmas tree. Thank you. As the 2023 Tahoe I want drives right by me, Lord, thank you. We have so much. We have so much. 
We are blessed beyond measure. And so we need to remind ourselves to be content. I don't know where you are in that range. To be that, that bubbly content guy that's sitting there, yes, a guy I knew named, remember Gilbert, babe, Gilbert? The guy gave thanks for every, everything, he was just happy. I don't know if you're on his end of the scale or you're on mine, but you gotta move away from mine and be thankful. Because contentment helps us. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content from what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. See, what contentment does is it keeps you from a poor attitude in regards to your resources. It keeps us from holding on too tightly to what we have. It keeps us from envy. It keeps us from jealousy. It keeps us from greed. It keeps us from avarice. A spirit of contentment keeps us rooted in the understanding that God has blessed us and that his grace, his grace, his grace is with us every day more than we deserve. That's what contentment does. Thank you for listening to this special McGregor podcast, Thinking Biblically About My Relationship to Money, Part 1. And don't forget to listen to part two of this hot topic series on money coming out shortly.